Please turn your Bibles with me to the New Testament book of Hebrews, to chapter 10, beginning with verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 19. I want to continue a series that I started last week at the Branch Forest campus. We titled this series, We Are the Church. Everybody say, We Are the Church. And in this series, my goal is to identify or to help us to explore four what I believe are corporate church practices that I believe are as persuasive in building unity among believers as I believe that they are also descriptive in the kind of unity that Christ desires that you and I experience as a part of his body. Now, this past Sunday across all of our campuses, we had an opportunity to experience one of those four corporate practices. We celebrated Christ's sacrifice on the cross on our behalf when we ate bread and we drank wine, both of which Jesus said represent his body and his blood respectively. And in doing so, we were remembering. Everybody say remembering. We were remembering Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And of course, in partaking these elements, I want to add this morning that we weren't simply performing a repetitious ritual. Just because we do this once a month does not mean that we do it just for the sake of doing it. We do it to acknowledge who Jesus is. But I also believe, friends, that we, every time we eat and drink, we are acknowledging that we are united. Everybody say united. united. We are united as one body. Why? Because of what Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago for your and my behalf. And because unity matters to God, do you understand that this morning? Unity matters to God. The responsibility of fostering unity falls on all of our collective shoulders because what matters to God should matter to us. What God loves, we should love. What God hates, we should hate. What God is drawn to, we should be drawn to as well. And so in the same way, there is a responsibility that falls on every one of our shoulders. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, whether one day or, or, or 50 years, every one of us bears this responsibility. Of, of, of safeguarding this unity that Christ has called us to embrace so that whether we're together in this context or we are apart as we are living out our day to day that we are working towards strengthening rather than eroding that unity that honors Christ. Today I want to talk to you about another corporate practice and this is the practice of confession. Everybody say confession. confession. To different people. The word confession means different things. Of course, it depends on the situation. It depends on the circumstance that it calls for. For example, when I think of confession, I think back to when my wife and I got married and one of our favorite pastimes would be to sit in front of the television after a long day just at working hard and we wanted to relax and we would watch a bunch of crime shows. And we had a series of crime shows that we would watch and we would watch four, five, six episodes at a time and we would talk and it was always interesting seeing these scenes where you have these intimidating figures standing over that, that suspect and they're badgering that individual with question after question after question. It's almost like they didn't want to give that person a chance to even answer one question before they ask another one. And it's all in an effort to get this person to finally feel the weight of the pressure of these questions that they decide, you know what, I just need to confess. I just need to say what I did and just get on with it. Other times, con confession may conjure up an image of someone who is unburdening their hearts to a religious figure in hopes that they might find respite from the guilt that they may be, they may be feeling inside. Or maybe, on a personal note, you might recall a time or two, or like me, hundreds of times, when you had to own up to something you said or you did. You had to confess. 
No matter what we imagine when we think of the word confession, nearly every instance that people tend to associate that word with is when people are acknowledging guilt. But that isn't the kind of confession I want to talk to you about this morning. In fact, in the scripture we're about to read, this is not the kind of confession that the writer of Hebrews is describing. The kind of confession I want to focus on this morning, those that are watching from home as well as the Branch Forest Campus, the kind of confession I want to address this morning is one that involves a daily, honest, and a wholehearted admission of our commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We just sang a song that declared, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And I truly hope that those are not just words we sing, but that, 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 that they define how we live. That everywhere we are, everywhere we go, that our lives tell the story to a watching world that I am a child of God. I am not a slave of sin any longer. Jesus has changed my life. You see, what happens here is not meant to stay here. This is not Vegas. Right? What happens here is not meant to stay here. What happens here is meant to be taken out into the world because the world needs to know those who are aligned with Jesus Christ. Yes, come on, let's give a hand to Paul. Because, because that's the kind of God we serve. A God whose name needs to be proclaimed. And we cannot be afraid to proclaim that name. But here's the problem. I believe that the universal church, as it is constituted today, has a major struggle. And this struggle it's not unique to our time because when you look in the scripture, you find that the Bible says that even the early church experienced this. But this is the struggle, and I want to des- describe it to you using this illustration. Many years ago, I heard Billy Graham share a story in one of his crusades, and he said, he described a, 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 a story about involving a man who was looking for a job. He was desperately looking for employment. And so he, <clears throat> excuse me, he found a job at this lumber yard. Um, and, and one of the things that he discovered about this lumberyard is that this lumberyard had a reputation of being a very hostile environment for Christians. And so when one of his friends heard that he got a job at this particular lumberyard, this friend approached him and said, Buddy, if these other lumberjacks hear that you are a Christian, you are in for a hard time. The man responded, I know, I know, I know. But listen, I need this job. A year went by. They met up again. The friend was eager to know after a year what has happened. Did anything change? What's different? Did they give you a hard time as he was expecting? To which the friend said, oh no, not at all. His friend was surprised. What do you mean not at all? Did you actually get them to tone down their rhetoric and their hostility? He said, no. They didn't give me a bit of trouble because they never even found out that I was a Christian. (laughs) They never even found out that I was a Christian. I want you to think about that for a second and let that sink in. And hopefully before we look down on that fictional character, I hope he's fictional. But before we look down on that character, perhaps it would be better if we looked at our own lives and we asked the question, have there been times when I did something similar? Where when given the opportunity to proclaim Christ, again, not in an intimidating or obnoxious way, you know, not in an uh, arrogant way, but that when you had a chance to demonstrate who Christ is, that you either dampened your witness or you muted it altogether. You see, the pressure to conform with the world rather than stand out by alignment with Christ is one that has always existed. Would you say amen? And in the New Testament book of Hebrews that we're about to read, and something I do with Branch Forest family, I want to encourage you to do as well. 
It is important that when we read the Bible that we, 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 we grasp the context of the, of the book. Sometimes we look at a verse and we think that all the message we need is in that one verse. But can I tell you that just as important as that one verse is the verses before it and the verses after it. Context matters. So when you read the book of Hebrews, and I would encourage you to go back in your spare time, read that entire book. 13 chapters is not a lot of chapters, but it's great content. What you're going to find is the author, whose, whose identity we don't even know for certain, addressing a group of Jewish believers. We know that they were in fact Jewish believers, people who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. And on the heels of their conversion, were facing tremendous pressure to denounce Christ and return back to, to, to Judaism. And the way that we see this writer make the case for Christ is that he contrasts Christ's role as our mediator and our perfect substitute for sin with the law, which the writer says is powerless to do anything about our sin. In fact, he says what the law simply does is it tells us that we are sinners. All the law tells us is how bad we have it, how bad we are. But the law is powerless to change us. The law is powerless to deliver us. Again, that song, I'm no longer a slave to sin. The law is powerless to break the power of slavery to sin. All it can do is make us aware of our enslavement. But it is only through Christ that you and I experience freedom. And what he does is he describes Christ as better than the prophets. Christ is better than the angels. He is better than Moses. He is, he, he is a perfect substitute for sin. And he explains why Jesus established a perfect covenant by becoming that perfect sacrifice. And then we come to the portion that we're about to read. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. And here he's going to show us how you and I must practice confessing Christ in order to defend against the pressures that we will face to deny him. So let's read together this morning. Do you have your Bibles turned to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19? Beginning in verse 19, the writer says, Therefore, everybody say, therefore, therefore. brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me say, first of all, this morning that unless you and I are willing to commit to the practice of daily confessing Christ, not just with our lips, but with our lifestyle friends, then our relationship with God will not only lack the strength it needs to thrive, but it will also hinder our witness for Christ. In other words, a daily confession of Jesus is the fuel that empowers yours and my relationship with God. Daily confession. And again, we're not talking about confession as it relates to acknowledging guilt. We're talking about confessing the Lordship of Christ in your life. And it's not what we just simply say, it's how we live. Notice with me this morning that our text begins with the awareness of a new and living way. 
In other words, he's referring to, or the writer is referring to a level of access to the Father that was previously unavailable to you and I because of sin, but has been made available to us because of what Jesus has done. And that as a result of Christ's sacrifice, you and I, and this is great news, you and I no longer have to engage our Father with feelings of doubt or distrust or fear or hesitation. Why? Because what the Bible says is in Ephesians 2.14, Jesus broke the wall of hostility that separated us from God and divides people from one another. And so the writer makes this point that having been given this access to the Father, which is only possible through confessing Christ as Lord, now stands before you and I this opportunity to confess or to express our devotion to Christ on a daily basis and in a tangible way. And so what I want to do in these next few minutes is talk to you about what the writer of Hebrews tells us are the ways that we express or practice daily confession as a vehicle for acknowledging Christ. Bear with me this morning. The first way we practice daily confession is this. And if you have pen and paper, please make a note of this so you can take note of this in your phone. The first way the Bible tells us we do this is by, by approaching God continually and with a sincere heart. Our relationship with God is important to God. And God has cleared the way, He has paved the way for you and I to know Him. But can I tell you that knowing Him is not a one time out of the week experience. Knowing Him is not a when I need to engage Him, I'll do so experience. A relationship with God is meant to be something that we look forward to. In the same way that we look forward to being with our spouses, we look forward to being around our children, we look forward to being around people that we care about, we love, even more so with God, there must be a hunger, a desire to interact with our Heavenly Father. Why? Because He has made it available for us to do so. I learned a long time ago that that how powerful it is to know that a a holy, perfect, righteous God chose to invite me, an, an, an unholy, imperfect, flawed person, to have a relationship with him. And, and, and knowing what God has done to make that relationship possible, what excuse do I have to deprive myself of that opportunity? But when we do so, the Bible says that we are to do so continually and with a sincere heart. Too often in Christianity, we underestimate the value of a relationship with God. We have to be begged to talk to our Father. I remember when I was growing up, my mom and my dad would encourage us to pray, to read our Bible, and we always saw it as a chore. It got to a point where we would do so, so this way if they asked us, we wouldn't have to lie, because we were afraid that God would strike us with, with lightning if we lied. But we did it because it was a duty, right? We did it to get our parents off of our backs, so that they wouldn't ask us questions. So we could say we did it, but there was no desire for intimacy with God. Bible says that when we see God, that we're to do so continually and with a sincere heart. And I want you to hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 24, from verse 3 to verse 5. Because I believe that he speaks to what is required if you and I are to have a relationship with God on a daily basis. Look at what he says in verse 3. He begins by asking a very simple question. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who is qualified? Who has the opportunity who has access to the Father and to, in order to engage him in relationship? And he answers this same question by saying, Who, but then he, asks, he goes on by asking, Who may stand in this holy place? And in verse 4, he says, The one who has clean hands, everybody say clean hands, yes. and a pure heart, 
who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. So the Bible is saying to us that God has made a way for you and I to have a relationship with him by way of the blood of Christ. And we are given this opportunity to engage our Heavenly Father, but we are not to do so lightly. I remember the story of the Old Testament king, I believe his name is Hosea, Hosea who, Scripture says, he took incense and he ran into the temple and he was doing what he was not supposed to do. And when the priest tried to beckon him, tell him, king, this is not your role. You're not even doing it in the right spirit. He refused. He thought, well, I'm the king. I can do whatever I want. But what he failed to realize is he's not God. And that even if other human beings are subservient to him, he will never be above God. And, and God reminded him that if you enter my presence, there is a way you do so. Many times our engagement of God is not what it should be. Why? Because we tend to see God as someone we go to because we want something from him. Whereas God wants us to engage him because we want to be with him. We want to connect with him, grow in relationship with him. The Bible says the one that can ascend the mountain of the Lord, the one that can stand in his holy place, is one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And that, friends, does not happen simply because we try. We have to submit ourselves to him and say, God, help me be who you want me to be to do what I cannot do so that I can engage you as only you can help me engage you. We confess daily our allegiance to Christ by continually approaching God with a sincere heart. Here's the second point. The scripture tells us that we not only connect with God continually and with a sincere heart, but we we, we practice daily confession by maintaining consistent confidence in the salvation that Christ brings. Are you confident in the salvation you found in Jesus? Mm, I'm not convinced. Are you, are you confident in the salvation that Christ brings? The Bible says that there is no other name that is given to men whereby which we must be saved. No other name. In other words, there's no other options. Jesus is the only way. So here's the thing. We all came through the same gate. I didn't come through a different gate from you. I didn't come by a different way from you. We all came through the same way. And too often, too often we forget. We forget what it means to be saved. Because again, we're focused on what we will gain in this life. And we fail to realize that there's so much more than just the things that we experience in this life that God brings into our life because we know Christ. Hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. And I love this scripture because what it points to is this reality. That in, in knowing Christ, God provides protection. In the sense of that when we come, under, when, when we come to Christ, we come underneath his canopy. Isaiah said that, that he who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under. Everybody say under. He says you abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It doesn't get better than that. Under the shadow of the Almighty God. So that we can say of the Lord, He, not me, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God in whom I put my hope and trust in. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. 
In what sense? Paul says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, and, and what is temptation? <clears throat> temptation really is invitation to sin. When we think of temptation, we only think of sexual immorality. We tend to think of that only, but it's not only connected to that. Temptation is invitation to sin. So Paul says, every time we are tempted to sin, God will also provide a way. We know Satan is going to be consistent in enticing us and trying to, in trying to convince us to choose the way of sin over God's way. But we also know God, God is faithful to always counter Satan's attempts. Paul says God will also provide a way so that you can what? Endure it. Because God's desire is that you and I walk in the power of the salvation he's brought into our lives. That when we, when we are out in the world, we're living before the world and they see us. And they see the decisions we make and the choices we make and the way we live. That they don't see people who are trying to be perfect. Or they see our people whose lives have been changed because we know Jesus. And when they see what Christ has done in our lives, that they are drawn to the one who has done the same in us so that he can do it in them. This is part of our daily confession, friends. That when we stand before a watching world and they see what salvation means. That it's not that we're not saved so we can come to church. We're not saved so we can say we're a Christian. We're not saved so we can, we, we, we can do all the things that Christians are known for. No, we are saved so that the world can know that God is real. And that Jesus saves lives. That's why we confess Christ. And in order to do so, we must maintain confident, consistent confidence in the, in the salvation that Christ brings. And here's my last point. Paul, the scripture says we, 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 we practice the daily confession of Christ by prioritizing opportunities to encourage other believers. The writer of Hebrews was challenging the believers then that you will have opportunity to, to resist gathering with the saints. Sometimes the, the, the pressure to not gather is because you're afraid of standing out. You don't want to be noticed that you're among Christians. Or you don't want to be identified with the Christians. That's what many of these were experiencing because there were these Juda Judaizers that were constantly putting pressure on these Jews to, to, embrace, to embrace the old way and to reject Christ. And the writer wanted them to understand that part of the defense that helps you to stay true is when you will remain aligned with believers. I'm going to share with you a quick story before, before the end of the message, but I want to go to what the scripture says in Hebrews 3 verse 13. The writer says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. And this is why. So that none of you, everybody say none of you. None of you. When he says none of you, he's referring to all of us. He's saying that everyone that is aligned with Christ, that identifies with Christ, that it is important that we encourage each other. Why? So that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Just because you gave your heart to Christ does not mean that you will not be tempted. Or that you will, not be, you will not be attracted. Because this flesh, this flesh is corrupt. And we have to daily bring this flesh under the, under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And to say, no, not your will, but it is His will. So, when we are told to encourage each other, it is so that we might support, enable, embrace, keep each other accountable. You cannot do that when you are separating yourself from other believers. You cannot receive that when you're separating yourself from the body. So the writer says we must prioritize opportunities to 
worship together, to encourage each other, all the more as we look ahead to the return of Christ. And can I tell you, he is coming back. Let's not be the city, he's not coming back in our lifetime. He is coming back. And I truly believe that we are in the end times. When you look at everything that's going on in the world these days, friends, be ready. Be ready, but we cannot be ready by ourselves. We need each other. I need you to be praying for me as I'm praying for you. To encourage me as I'm encouraging you. I need to hear what God is doing in your life as I tell you what he's doing in mine. We need to encourage each other. And it's important for us to prioritize gathering with the saints. Let me say, now I always tell my branch for his family and I'll share with you this morning. Discipleship doesn't happen simply in this room. Discipleship is best facilitated in the context of gatherings and relationships. That's why Christian education is so important. If you're not a part of a Christian education class, join one. Because you not only get to study the word of God with others, you get to pray with people, develop relationships with people, relationships outside of this environment. How many times I get excited when I run into a church family member in the grocery store or at the school. I get excited because that's my brother, that's my sister. And, and, and I see them as family because we're part of the same body. And so in the same way, I encourage you, make Christian education a priority. If you're not part of a Bible study, we have plenty of great Bible study classes you can be a part of. Plenty. Join one. And it's not just for adults. We have for, for our children, for our youth. Parents, it is important that you get your kids in environments where they can learn the word of God and build relationships with other godly peers. It is so important. But I believe with all my heart that when we prioritize gathering together with each other, we are able to encourage one another. And in doing so, we are professing that we are committed, devoted to, G to Jesus Christ. I heard a story about this gentleman who had been missing from church for a while. He had been going through all kinds of life experiences, just one crisis after the other, felt like God had abandoned him, God had left him. And so, several weeks had gone by, pastor notices that he is not present, and so the pastor goes to his house to go visit him, and when the pastor gets to his house, pastor finds him in the back of his house by a fire pit, and he sees this man kind of huddled in front of the fire pit, he's warming up, and there are a bunch of coals that are smoldering in the fire pit. And the pastor walks over and he sits right next to this gentleman and doesn't say anything to him, he just sits next to him. And he, for a few minutes, just no, no, no conversation, just quiet. And then the pastor takes out one of the holes from that log of holes and he sets it aside and he says nothing. And as they sit there watching, that one lump of coal begins to fade until it's no longer burning. Pastor says nothing. The gentleman is looking. He looks at the one coal. He looks at the smoldering pile of coals. He looks at the pastor and says, Pastor, I'll be at church next Sunday. <laughs> because he understood that when you separate yourself from the body, when you separate yourself from the body, you hurt yourself. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. And we are called to demonstrate unity by our connectedness to each other. Do not separate yourself from the body, friend. That's what Satan wants you to do. 
For those that are watching at home, I say to you, do not separate yourself from the body. As often as you have opportunity to seek opportunities to connect with the body of Christ and find the nourishment you need. So I close with this thought. The opportunity to make a bold daily profession of faith in Christ requires that we make the commitment to approach the Lord continually and with a sincere heart, to let our confidence be in the salvation that Christ brings and to seek ways to engage one another in relationship and fellowship. Commit today that you will stand firmly and confidently through your daily confession of Christ. Are you with me this morning? Are you committed to being in the church this morning? Then my prayer for you today is that God will give you and I the grace and strength to be what he's called us to be. Again, so that a watching world can know that Christ is who he says he is. And they can be drawn to him and they can know him like, they can, like, only, like only he can reveal himself to them to be. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning, understand today that everything I've said to you today, everything I've addressed this morning is, 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 is meaningless if you don't know Christ. You cannot experience Christ outside of his circle. You cannot, know, you cannot experience the full benefit of knowing God outside of his family. You need to become a child of God. And the Bible tells, tells us in John 1.12 that to those who believe in his name, whose name? My name? No. Some other person's name? No. Jesus. To those who believe in his name. In what sense? That we believe that it is only through him that salvation comes. Why? Because he gave his life for you and I. And that our relationship with God is made possible because of what he did on the cross. We believe that what he did is sufficient for our salvation. He gives us the right to become children of God. God wants you to be part of his family if you do not, if you do not know him today. For those who are watching, God wants you to be part of his family if you do not know him today. And before I close this morning, I want to give an opportunity for someone to say, Jesus, I'm ready to make you the Lord of my life. I don't want to just know about you. I want to know you as my Savior, my Lord. I want to live for you. I want you to live in me. I want you to live through me. I want the world to see what difference a relationship with Jesus can make in my life. I've heard about it from others, but I want to experience it for myself. You have that opportunity this morning. I want to invite every head bowed and every eyes closed. Before Pastor Bruce comes to take over the rest of the service, I want to ask if there's someone that's here who would say, Pastor John, please pray with me. Pray with me that I will embrace Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I want to walk with him in relationship today. All you have to do this morning, first step, is to just raise your hand. Acknowledge. We talk about daily confessing. This is your first step. To confess that you are, you are, you are with Christ. You are for Christ. By raising your hand, I would love to pray with you. I'm looking around the room. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor John, pray with me. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else here who would say, Pastor John, pray with me that I would accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Thank you so much. I see you up there in the balcony. Very good. Anybody else? would say, pray with me, Pastor John, this morning that I would accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we heaven, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Father, for the hands that have been raised. Father, we are grateful to you because, Lord, the word says that, God, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. God, I'm grateful to you this morning for the privilege that we have of calling on your name and knowing that, God, when we do so, you will save. And so, God, thank you for salvation. Thank you for transformation. Thank you, Father, for renewing us, Lord, giving us a right spirit, Father. Thank you, Father God, for my brothers, Father God, who raised their hands today, God. All things have been made new because of their faith in Jesus. And God, I pray that, Lord, as they walk with you every single day, may they experience the joy of salvation. May they experience the power of relationship. And God, may they be witnesses for Christ. 
And God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters here who are sitting in the sanctuary, who are watching from Branch Forest, who are listening online. Father, we thank you this morning. God, we have an opportunity today, God, to respond to your invitation, God, to, Father God, the daily profess, Father, our allegiance to Jesus. God, I pray, help us be faithful. Help us, Lord, to seek you continually and with a sincere heart. Help us, God, to, to not deprive ourselves of the, of the opportunity for relationship with one another. God, help us, Lord, to be faithful to the call you placed in our lives. Use us mightily, Father, for your name's sake. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.